Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analysing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapter 31 of Breaking Dawn, Talented. Now, this is a pretty short chapter, but it's jam-packed with crazy stuff. So, it could either be a really short episode this episode, or I could get bogged down in the weeds and it could go on forever. <laughs> we'll see, because oh, this chapter's bonkers. Anyway, where we left off, the Denali clan have arrived in Forks, and they were like, oh my God, you've got a vampire child. That's disgusting. How could you? And Edward was like, it's not what it looks like. It's not what it looks like. Just um, smell her. She's human, right? And they're like, I guess. But then she started touching their faces and everything was resolved. And Bella was doing that new mum thing where she thinks her kid's just the most special kid in the world, even though that might actually be the case in this instance. But she's like, oh my God, my baby's so cute. She's winning over everyone. It'd be impossible to resist Renesme. Oh, she's just the best kid in the whole entire world. Meanwhile, Jay Jenks is sitting pretty in Seattle, not getting chased up. So we pick up this chapter, still with the Denali clan quizzing the Cullens. And Tanya says, so what's the deal with all the werewolves? And she's eyeing off Jacob thinking, what's he doing here? And why is he molesting that child? And so Jacob puffs himself up and he's like, well, if the Volturi won't stop to listen about Nessie, oh, I mean, Renesme. And Bella fills us in and says, he corrected himself, remembering that Tanya would not understand his stupid nickname. Like, okay, I don't know how smart or dumb Tanya is, but I think she can figure out that Nessie is short for Renesme. Like, she doesn't even have to think of the Loch Ness Monster and, like, that association, but, like, Renesme, Nessie, like, it's like calling someone Dave and being like, oh, my God, I'm sorry, I mean David. You wouldn't understand the nickname Dave from David. Like, yeah, she can figure it out. Also, who else is he talking about? You're in a room with like five people. He's obviously talking about Renesmee. God, Bella. Oh, oh, he corrected himself quickly because Tanya's so stupid. She wouldn't realize who Nessie was. Like, yeah, he's not talking about the the checkout person at the local supermarket. He's not talking about the workers at the bank. Oh, anyway, so he says, if the Volturi won't stop to listen about Nessie, I mean Renesmee, we will stop them saying that the werewolves will fight the Volturi. And Tanya's like, yeah, sure, Jan. She's like very brave, but that would be impossible for more experienced fighters than you are. And he says, you don't know what we can do. Even though like the werewolves killed Laurent. So like, I do think they they might know what you can do. I think they might know what you're capable of. But no, because the eclipse never happened. (laughs) Tanya's like, well, okay. I mean, it's your own life. If you want to die at the hands of the Volturi, go for it. She's lost all memory of Laurent being killed by werewolves. So then Elazar, whose secret talent is finding talents in others, he says, well, you've got a very talented family here. A mind reader for a father, a shield for a mother, 
and then whatever magic this extraordinary child has bewitched us with, I wonder if there's a name for what she does or if it's the norm for a vampire hybrid. And Edward's like, wait a minute, what, what the fuck did you just call my wife? And Elazar's like, she's a shield, obviously. And he's like, I think so. I mean, she's blocking me right now, so I can't even be sure. But like, yeah, she's a shield. And now Bella turns into the dumbest person in the room because she's like staring at Elazar. She's furrowing her brows in confusion. And she thinks, shield? What does he mean about me blocking him? A shield? I'm not a shield. She's like picturing a suit of armor. And she's like, I'm not physically a shield. What's he talking about? (laughs) And she says, I was standing right here beside him, not defensive in any way. She's like, what? How can I possibly be a shield in the context of vampires having talents and her effectively shielding herself from the powers of like an Edward and an Alec and a Jane? She has no freaking clue what he's talking about. And Edward's also bewildered. He's like, what? A shield? Huh? And Alizar, he's like, oh my God. He's like, uh, yeah, guys, like Edward, if I can't get a read on her, I doubt you can either. Like, can you hear her thoughts? And he's like, no. And he's like, yeah, because she's a shield. And Edward says, but I've never been able to do that. Even when she was human. And he's like, all right, that's pretty interesting. That just indicates a rather powerful latent talent. And he's like, and she's unaware she's doing it. Wow, that is pretty talented. He says, ironically, Aro sent me all over the world searching for such anomalies and you simply stumble across it by accident and don't even realize what you have. And Alizar's like, wow, they've got a shield. And Bella's like, what are you talking about? She still doesn't get it. Like he's, he's even said, I'm referring to the fact that I can't get a read on you. Edward can't read your mind. You're shielding us without even knowing you're doing it. And she's like, shield? I'm not even a shield. She says, all I could picture in my head was a ridiculous medieval suit of armor. And she's like, I'm not that. I'm not holding up a big shield. What does it, what does that mean? And Elazar's like, oh my God, here we go. Let me break it down for your toots. He says, in the Volturi Guard, they used to categorize talents. Even though every talent is unique, there's never exactly the same thing twice. They used to say that talents that were purely defensive, that protect the bearer, were always called shields. And he says, have you ever been able to block anyone else besides just yourself? And she's like, no, I never really tried. (laughs) She says, it only works with certain things. My head is sort of private, but it doesn't stop Jasper from being able to mess with my mood or Alice from seeing my future. And Alizar's like, oh, okay. So it's purely a mental defense because Jasper influencing her mood isn't mental. That's (laughs) apparently he's, adjusting her like heartbeat and shit when he's adjusting her mood. I don't know. And then Edward's like, yeah, even Arrow couldn't hear her when she was human. And Jane also couldn't hurt her. And Bella's like, yeah. And Edward thinks Dimitri can't find me and Alec can't bother me either. And Elazar's like, wow, okay. You guys are starting to brag, but okay. And Edward's like, oh my God, a shield. I never thought of it. He says, I I never would have guessed. I don't know why it was so hard for them to ever consider that she might have a talent. Like, why did they never sit down and brainstorm why Bella's mind was impenetrable? And now Edward even says he's met a shield before. He says, ah, the only shield I've ever met before was Renata. And what she did was different. So I just never thought 
that my girlfriend could be a shield. And Alizar says, yes, no talent ever manifests in precisely the same way because no one ever thinks in exactly the same way. Okay, so yeah, talents are completely unique. There's no double ups in the world of Twilight. And so I guess it's just a coincidence that the two most cliche talents are in the Cullen family, mind reading and seeing the future. So Bella asks who Renata is, and apparently Renata is Arrow's personal bodyguard, a very practical kind of shield and a very strong one. She just shields from physical attacks. Okay, so if someone approaches her or Arrow, they find themselves diverted. There's a force around her that repels, though it's almost unnoticeable. You simply find yourself going a different direction than you planned with a confused memory as to why you wanted to go the other way in the first place. And she can project her shield several meters out from her. And she also protects Caius and Marcus, but Arrow is her priority. I don't, I don't know why. Is she banging Arrow on the side or something? Okay, so Renata can project like force fields around her. That's an okay talent, I guess, if you're in combat a lot. If you're just sitting in Volterra, not being invaded for centuries, it's kind of boring. That's kind of a dud talent, Renata. Like, I hate to say it. That's kind of shit. And you have to be hanging around Arrow all the time. That'd make me feel a bit uncomfortable. And so I guess you're thinking like, oh, wow, that's a, a good physical talent. But no, no. Alazar says, well, what Renata does isn't actually physical. Like the vast majority of our gifts, it takes place inside the mind. Of course it does. Uh, even a physical shield takes place inside the mind. And Elazar's like, I wonder if you could get through her shield since your mind's impenetrable and her physical shield ability is, is apparently all in the mind. He's like, I wonder who would win. And so Bella's now having a moment where she's like, whoa. She's like, oh my God, I thought my gift was my super self-control. <laughs> and she's like, wow. Maybe I've got more than one ability. And then she thinks, well, maybe actually because of all my preparation, my focus and my attitude, that's why I have such self-control. But she's like, huh, look at me. A woman of many talents. She couldn't walk down a flight of stairs without tripping when she's a human. But as a vampire, she's just got so many skills. And so then Kate says, can you project? And she's like, project? What are you talking about? Even though we've just had a full conversation about how Renata projects her skill out from just herself. We've even been using the word project multiple times. And Bella's like, project? What does she mean project? Like speak out loud at the top of my voice? Yeah, I can project. And Kate's like, no bitch. Can you like push it out from yourself? Shield someone besides yourself. And she goes, I don't know, I've never tried. I didn't know I should do that. Even though we've also already talked about that just a few seconds ago. And Kate's like, oh, I know. It's actually quite hard, actually. I've been working on it for centuries and the best I can do is run a current over my skin. And so then she's like, oh, what? Kate has a skill too. And it's like, oh my God, every vampire has a skill. This book really has turned into the X-Men. Okay. So Kate's a mutant too. She can run a current over her skin. And that's an offensive skill, just like Jane. So it's not a shield skill. I wonder if it's mental though. I wonder if that current actually exists or it's all in her head and everyone else's head. And so Bella's thinking, huh, 
If I could project my shield skill and protect the people around me, the people I love, that'd be really helpful. She's like, maybe. With like Jane putting her pain power onto people, I could, I could block that. And it's like, yeah, yeah, that's what they're talking about. That's why you've been asked if you could project. It's like she thought like they were asking just out of interest, like, oh, can you project for no reason? And she's like, no, but that gives me an idea. If I learned how to project, I could then extend my skill to protect other people. And they're like, yeah, no shit. And so she's like, oh my God, Kate, I've just had the best idea. You need to teach me how to project. You have to show me how. And she grabs Kate's arm and it says, Kate winced at my grip. Is that because she's a super strong newborn vampire or is Kate just like the most vulnerable vampire we've ever met? And she's like, okay, yeah, maybe if you stop crushing me. And she's like, oops, sorry. And Kate says, yeah, you're shielding right now. That move should have shocked your arm off. You didn't feel anything just now? Okay, so I was joking before when I said that Kate's power would be all in her mind, but it must be if Bella's impervious. How can physical things like Jasper's mood alteration work on Bella, but an electrical current on her skin can't affect her? Surely that's physical, but no. No, she doesn't get affected by the electric shocks. And Edward is pissed off. He's like, that wasn't necessary, Kate. She didn't mean any harm. Like, why are you electroshocking my girlfriend? And they're both like, well, we didn't feel it anyway, dude. Calm down. And Kate's like, wow, I've never met anyone who could not feel my electric current. She says, anyone who tries to touch me drops like a human that's been tasered. It only downs him for a second, but that's long enough. So she's saying that it's a great defensive skill. So, okay, that's a defensive skill. Good for her. It started with just her palms, the palms of her hands, but now she can project it all over her own body. And then Bella's only half listening to Kate because she's like, shut up, Kate. I've just got this great idea. What if I could project my shield skill to protect my family? She said that like a million times now. (laughs) Uh, But she's really jazzed by the idea. Good for her. But because she's so preoccupied, She doesn't notice the silent exchange going on between Edward and Eleazar until it became a spoken conversation. Not that I'm sure she would have noticed a silent conversation anyway, but that's what she says. So then Edward and Eleazar start speaking out loud and we're sort of dropped into it, not knowing what the hell they're talking about. Because Edward says, can you think of one exception? And Eleazar says, I don't want to think of them that way. And Edward says, well, the thought was yours, not mine. And he says, well, if I'm right, like things are getting tense. He's like, if I'm right, I can't even grasp what that would mean. It would change everything about the world we've created. It would change the meaning of my life, what I've been a part of. And Edward's like, well, your intentions were always the best. And I'm thinking, can someone fill me in? Like, what the fuck are they talking about? And then Elazar's like, it wouldn't matter. What have I done? How many lives? And then Tanya's like... Can you guys fill us in? Tanya's had enough. She's like, I'm not, I'm not going to put up with this. Nuh-uh. If you're going to talk in front of me, you're going to let me in on the conversation. So Tanya says, what have I missed? I want to know so that I can argue with these thoughts. You've never done anything wrong, Alizar. And he's like, oh, haven't I? And she's like, no, I just said you didn't. <laughs> so Tanya gives up on asking Alizar for the tea. And she just says, Edward, can you explain? Like, what's going on? And Edward says, okay, Alazar was trying to understand why so many of the Volturi would come to punish us. It's not the way they do things. Certainly we are the biggest mature coven they've dealt with. 
yeah, all, all like six or seven of them. Ah, <sighs> they're so big. But in the past, other covens have joined to protect themselves and they've never presented much of a challenge despite their numbers. We are more closely bonded and that's a factor, but not a huge one. And so, okay, he really is airing Alizar's dirty laundry. I don't know if he got consent from Alizar to share all of his thoughts, but he keeps going on. He says, he was remembering other times that covens have been punished for one thing or the other, and a pattern occurred to him. It was a pattern that the rest of the guard would never have noticed since Alizar was the one passing the pertinent intelligence privately to Arrow, a pattern that only repeated every other century or so. Edward says, Arrow does not often personally attend a punishing expedition, but in the past, when Arrow wanted something in particular, it was never long before evidence turned up proving that this coven or that coven had committed some unpardonable crime. The ancients would decide to go along to watch the guard administer justice, and then once the coven was all but destroyed, Arrow would grant a pardon to one member whose thoughts he would claim were particularly repentant. Always it would turn out that this vampire had a gift that Arrow had admired. Always this person was given a place with the guard. The gifted vampire was won over quickly, always grateful for the honor. There were no exceptions. So I'm confused on this whole pattern of things because he said it only repeats every other century or so. So what are we talking like every 200 years? And like, yeah, the Volturi have been around for a long time, but if it's still only happening every 200 years or so, that doesn't seem that often, like it's not often enough for a pattern. He's like, always this would happen and always this would happen and then always this would happen. But it's like once every 200 years. So it's, so it's not that often. Yeah, if they've been around for 3000 years, let's just say it's happened like what, 15, 20 times. When you put it like that, How do you not see the pattern until just now? You know what I mean? I don't know. Now that seems like a lot for them to not pick up on the pattern. In fact, it seems super freaking obvious what he's up to. I guess the people in the Volturi are a little bit brainwashed because if if every single time they're hunting down a coven and then they pick one person who just happens to have a talent and that person is like, oh, they're innocent. Like, of course, that's just Arrow recruiting talented people. Like, open up your fucking eyes. But in fairness, Edward then explains that there was one person in the guard and her name is Chelsea. (laughs) The names of the Volturi are wild, aren't they? Like you can, you can have an Arrow and a Dimitri and a Caius and a Marcus and a Renata and Alizar. And then you can have a Chelsea and a Jane. Like that just, (laughs) that just seems like really random. I thought we were going for the like old world exotic names, but then it's like, oh, we got Chelsea. Like, can you picture a vampire Chelsea? Like when I hear the name Chelsea, I'm picturing like a cool teen from the nineties. And maybe she is the hippest, you know, most fashion forward millennial among the Volturi. Maybe she is this Chelsea. Um, but anyway, that's not the point. So Chelsea has a talent and oh God, her talent is influence over the emotional ties between people. She can both loosen and secure these ties. She could make someone feel bonded to the Volturi to want to belong, to want to please them. Okay, so whoever they recruit is super thankful and grateful because of Chelsea. And that's why they stay within the Volturi guard. But Alizar knows this. So now Edward knows this. So I think a lot of people know that this Chelsea has this power. So like, Whenever you feel bonded to someone in the Volturi, wouldn't you just be like, I wonder if 
Chelsea's fucking me over right now. Is that young girl Chelsea, is she manipulating my emotions? Like, surely you'd be suspicious. Or does her power remove your suspicion? I don't know. This is why I said this chapter's a doozy. It's a short one, but we're getting an info dump of ridiculous talents. Stephanie has run out of ideas for skills. It really makes me wish she'd have stuck to like standard vampire law where they could just turn into bats. Oh, my kingdom for just a vampire that could turn into a bat. Oh, how simple things were back in the olden days. But now we've got Chelsea who can manipulate people into feeling a certain way. She's an influencer, basically. So Chelsea's uh, the influencer of the Volturi. And that feels right. And Alizar says, yeah, we all knew about Chelsea. We all knew she was an influencer. In a fight, if we could separate allegiances between allied covens, we could defeat them that much more easily. If we could distance the innocent members of a coven emotionally from the guilty, justice could be done without unnecessary brutality. The guilty could be punished without interference and the innocent could be spared. All right, this seems like a stretch. Otherwise, it was impossible to keep the coven from fighting as a whole. So Chelsea would break the ties that bound them together and she'd influence them into not fighting. And Alizar all this time thought this was an example of Arrow's mercy. Even though it seems like you're messing with someone's free will and determination, but yeah, sure, it was mercy. And then he says, I did suspect that Chelsea kept our own band more tightly knit, but that too was a good thing. It made us more effective. It helped us coexist more easily. You'd think then that Volterra where they live was just like this magical utopia. But we went there in New Moon and it didn't seem that nice. It didn't seem like all the other vampires were so close knit and like friendly and bonding like they're at a sleepaway camp. Like it didn't seem that magical. Maybe Chelsea was on an off day when we were there. I don't know. And apparently Alizar's been living with Tanya and the Denali clan for years and years and years and have never asked him any questions because Tanya's like, oh, really? Um, how strong is Chelsea's gift? And then Alizar shrugs and he's like, nah. He's like, I was able to leave. Carmen and I were able to leave the Volturi, so it can't be that strong. So then why are we just spending like a whole page on her? Chelsea better show up. You know, at the end when all the Volturi come, like Chelsea better be there. Renata better be there. Like if we're getting full backstory and like an info dump on all of their talents, I want these talents to be used. It's sort of a Chekhov's gun. If you tell me in the first act that there's this vampire millennial called Chelsea whose talent is influencing people, then in the third act, you better show me that talent in use. She better be influencing people all up and down the Olympic Peninsula. So they're talking about how strong Chelsea's power is. And he says, anything weaker than the bond between partners is in danger. And he says, in a normal coven, at least. Those are weaker bonds than those in our family, though. Oh God, that was a bit of a tongue twister for though words. Those are weaker bonds than those in our family, though. Because apparently... Abstaining from human blood makes them more civilized and lets them form true bonds of love. What? Uh, Is Alizar having us on? Apparently they can have true bonds of love just because they don't eat blood. Human blood, that is. And Alizar says, I doubt she could turn our allegiances, Tanya, because they drink animal blood. So they're off scot-free. They're impervious to Chelsea's influencer charms. 
And Tanya nods, seeming reassured, even though I wouldn't be reassured of anything. So then Alazar says, I could only think that the reason Arrow had decided to come himself to bring so many with him is because his goal is not punishment, but acquisition. Okay, I I get he wants to steal the most talented people from the Cullens and bring them onto the Volturi. That's what they're getting at, not in so many words, but that's what he's getting at. I still don't know why you're bringing like the vampire wives, why you're bringing the whole city full of Volterra over to the Olympic Peninsula just to pick up one person. Like, just send 20 people. That still doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I get he does it every other century. You know, when you've got a pattern, you've got to stick to the pattern, but I I still don't get why that's necessary. Well, actually, no, Alizar just tries to explain it and he says, he needs to be there to control the situation, but he needs the entire guard for protection from such a large gifted coven. So he's still scared of the seven Cullens plus Bella. They're a huge, large gifted coven. Even though only three of them have gifts, well now four with Bella's shield power. That's half of them. Yeah, they could put up a fight, but against the hundreds of Volturi? And we already know Alec exists and Alec's power is that he can just immobilize heaps of people all at once, just like that. So just bring Alec. You don't need to bring everybody. It seems like overkill. So Alizar's just like, yep, he's bringing everybody. How else can he preserve the gifts that he wants? He must want them very badly. And then Edward chimes in and he says, well, actually, from what I saw of his thoughts last spring, Arrow's never wanted anything more than he wants Alice. And Bella's like, oh my God, no, Alice. And then it says, Bella's mouth fell open. Remembering the nightmarish pictures I had imagined long ago, Edward and Alice in black cloaks with blood red eyes, their faces cold and remote as they stood close as shadows, Arrow's hands on theirs. And now this bitch, she cannot remember any human memory. Like every time she thinks of something human from her human years, she's like, it's fuzzy. My human eyes blur the image. I can barely remember that human time. Like actual moments in her life, she's already forgetting. People in her life, she's forgetting, but she remembers this one image that she's created with her own imagination. She just remembers that vividly, even though it never happened. She's acting like it's a memory and never happened. So then she starts thinking that Alice had seen this as of her own vision and Bella's conjecturing. And she thinks had Alice seen Chelsea trying to strip away her love for us to bind her to Arrow and Caius and Marcus. And she's like, oh, that's why Alice left. She says, saying it out loud. And Edward's like, yeah, it must be to keep Arrow from gaining the thing he wants most of all, to keep her power out of his hands. And like Tanya and Kate are like, where'd Alice go? They're like, you didn't mention that before. (laughs) And Bella's like, oops, I spilled the beans about Alice. (laughs) And Bella says, oh, he wants you too, Edward. And Edward's like, nah. He says, not nearly as much. I can't really give him anything more than he already has. And well, like, yeah, your talent is different considering you don't have to touch people to read their thoughts, whereas Arrow has to touch people. So that is very different actually, Edward. And lately we've also been finding out that you can hear people's thoughts from miles away when you're trained in on them. So like, yeah, that's pretty different to Arrow. And he also says, 
Of course, that's dependent on Arrow finding a way to force me to do his will. And it's like, bitch, have you not been listening to like the three page monologue that we just had about Chelsea's powers? He's like, of course I won't do whatever Arrow tells me to do. It's like, you, you will be influenced and manipulated into liking the guy and wanting to please him. But no, he has not considered that possibility at all. And Edward's like, Arrow knows me. He knows how unlikely it is that I'll ever help him. Like, no, Arrow knows who Chelsea is. He knows Chelsea's deal. And Alazar says, well, yeah, you know what? He probably also wants Bella. He was probably intrigued by a talent that could defy him in human form. So Arrow's the only one that ever thought that perhaps it was a talent. I still can't get over the fact that for years and years, Edward just thought it was like a funny little quirk of Bella's. Oh, what a cute little quirk. Like it's a, it's a talent guy. So then Edward says, okay, then we get, all right. We're going into Alice's seeing the future decision logic. So just strap yourselves in. Edward says, I think the Volturi were waiting for this for some pretext. They couldn't know what form their excuse would come in, but the plan was already in place for when it did come. That's why Alice saw their decision before Arena triggered it. The decision was already made, just waiting for the pretense of a justification. Okay, then why did Alice not see this vision earlier? If they were already waiting for this, could she not have seen that they were talking about how they were going to mobilize against the Carlins, or did they not talk about it? I don't know. Oh, that decision stuff really kills me. So then Carmen's like, wow, the Volturi are really abusing all the trust we've got in them. Uh, Maybe we should have a little coup. And Alizar's like, ah, no one's going to believe it. And Edward says, don't worry, guys, you just hit a witness. Whatever Arrow's goal, I don't think he's ready to tarnish the Volturi's reputation for it. I don't know. If we can take away his argument against us, he'll be forced to leave us in peace. He'll be forced to leave the little vampire-human hybrid demon spawn in peace. And then they hear someone coming up the driveway. And Bella's like, oh, that's Charlie. She goes, oh, crap. And she says, maybe the Denali's could hang out upstairs for a little bit until he leaves. And so she's just calling the Denali clan members the Denali's, which seems weird. It's just because they live in Denali, right? They'd be like calling a group of people from Paris, the Parises, or from Sydney, the Sydneys, from New York, the New Yorks. Like, oh, all right, I've just got to say goodbye to the New Yorks. Like what? You, you can't just call someone the Denali's. That's really weird. It's not their last name. Is it their last name? No, I think they're from Denali. Yeah, Denali, it's a place. It's a national park and a mountain. That's, that's not a name of a group of people. Anyway, then Edward, he's like, don't worry about it, Bells. It's not Charlie. Alice sent Peter and Charlotte after all. Time to get ready for the next round. And that's the end of the chapter. So next chapter is them, I I presume, doing it all over again and introducing Renesmee. Like, oh, that's thrilling stuff. We're just going to do that every time someone arrives. Okay. And the fact that Alice has now sent Peter and Charlotte after all, like she's doing what she said she would do and you still think she's abandoned you guys. Meanwhile, Jay Jenks still sitting pretty not getting visited. I can't remember the book that well. I last read it in like, I don't know, 2008 or some bullshit. Do we ever meet Jay Jenks? Like, do I need to get over it? Or is this actually going to become useful? 
this information? Is it going to go anywhere? I don't know. Anyway, let's leave it there. As I said, a little bit shorter than usual, but there was a lot going on. So I'll see you guys next week for the next chapter, which is titled Company. So they've got more company. How fantastic. All right, see ya. Bye. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.